case you didn't catch their names at the beginning, that was uh, Rich and Trisha, and we've been uh, supporting and praying for them for several years. <clears throat> and uh, so I want to do just encourage you as you think about them. <clears throat> excuse me, I oversang. Um, <clears throat> but as you think about them and as, you, uh, as they come to your mind, be praying for the work that they're doing. Be praying that, um, that God would birth a church there in their town. Now, because of where they are, they can't really tell, and I can't tell because of this recorded. Uh, I can't tell you where they are, but you guys know, and if you don't know, ask me afterwards, and I'll tell you when it's not being recorded. Um, but let me encourage you to be praying for them. Also, just want to give you a quick reminder, all month long, we are looking at supporting two different mission projects. One is the International Mission Board, and that is missionaries that are being sent by Southern Baptists all over the world, like the Kims, who were here last week. And then uh, the other one is the West End Ministry Center with Grace Harbor Church in New England, in New Bedford. Um, so as, as the Lord leads, if you would like to give to either or both of those, simply note either Lottie Moon, which goes to the International Mission Board, or note uh, Grace Harbor on your gift. And there's a, a couple ways to do that online. But let me pray for us as we dive into the word uh, together. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the joy of being able to partner with people like Rich and Tricia. And we do pray that you would continue to bless the work that they are doing. Lord, continue to provide for the needs that they have. Lord, open doors that they might be able to share the good news of the gospel with those in, in that part of the world. Father, we pray that you would birth a church there, a, a a church that is filled with people from all over that city, a church that would magnify and glorify your name even as we've been able to do that here this morning. Father, we pray for their children both in Florida and in Kenya. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you would lead them, that you would be honored through them as they seek to walk faithfully before you. Lord, even as this family is spread out across the world, we pray that you would continue to knit them together for your glory. And Father, we pray now over the next few minutes as we open your word together that you would grant us understanding. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us through your word. Speak for your people are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles and want to open to Luke chapter 2, which is the passage that Ernesto read earlier. Ernesto, thank you very much for, for reading. Um, 2 verses 10 to 11 is, is re really where we're going to be. And, and I don't know if you guys have been around the birth of very many kids. Um, I got to be present for three, and it has been a joy. The birth of almost any child is filled with joy. There's, there's the enjoyment in this new life. There's the, the, the hope of what the future brings in this new child. Keep, you kind of wonder, what, what will they grow up to become? It's the fulfillment of desires. And yet, for some, the birth of a child also brings pain. Maybe it's the wrong time in life. Maybe too young, too old, not financially ready. Maybe the doctors and nurses have found that there, is a, there are some questions in utero and 
So there's concerns. Will this baby be healthy? There's so many reasons why birth of a child can bring both joy and pain. And so today, as we continue reflecting on the themes of the Advent candles, we get to reflect on this theme of joy. This joy is most clearly seen in in the announcement of the angels in verses 10 to 11. Let me read that for us again. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So as we consider these two brief verses, I want to make one statement, and I want want us to ask two questions in light of this. And in doing this, I've been helped along by a a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached when he was preaching 150 years ago. Uh, And so let's begin with this statement, and that is, the birth of Jesus brings great joy. The birth of Jesus brings great joy. By earthly standards, it should have been one of, the, one of the more challenging births. I mean, if you think about it, you've got a teenage mother and a teenage, probably a teenage or 20-something stepfather who, have, who are away from home. If you remember, they were up in, in, in Nazareth. That's where they lived, but they had to go down to Bethlehem. So they were away from home. They were in a foreign place and... You know, babies just come whenever they're ready, unless you're doing C-sections and, and planning it that way. These guys could not plan that, so they just knew the time was near. And so here they are in Bethlehem, away from home, and the best they could find is a stable. This is not the ideal circumstance. But the angel clearly says this is good news of great joy. The joy is more than the, the new life or the circumstances. The birth of Jesus brings great joy, abundant joy, overwhelming joy, overflowing joy. And it seems that in these verses, there are several reasons given. And I think all of the reasons are wrapped up in the three titles that the angel gives to this baby, Savior, Christ, and Lord. So let's take them in, in a little bit of a, a different order. First of all, as Lord, Jesus is the incarnation of God. As Lord, Jesus, the angel is saying to the, the shepherds, this is God born in the flesh. Some commentators have noted that the presence of these three titles together is unique in this announcement. We don't ever see this anywhere else in Scripture. And yet, how does the reference to Lord Talk about the incarnation because Lord ultimately really means master. And, and let me just kind of give you a little, uh, little background. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, he has, he has said Lord 19 times. He has written it. And we're only barely into chapter 2. 19 different times he has referenced Lord. Sometimes it's gone, it's been connected with God, so it's the Lord God, or it might be connected with an angel of the Lord. But each time, and and I found this so interesting in looking at it, each time they always referred to God. Every time Luke used the word Lord up to this point, it has always been a reference to God. Even though we could use that word Lord to talk about a master, to talk about a boss, to talk about someone who's in authority. But every time here, Luke is referencing 
Lord. So what might seem like a passing title for us is really a, a profound statement that this baby is God. The divine took on human flesh. And so when the angel conversed with Mary about what would happen back in Luke chapter 135, the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This was huge news. This is a mysterious activity as the eternal takes on the mortal. Perfection takes on imperfection. The holy takes on carnal. And yet that's what we have in the birth of the Lord but in order, it seems like in order for Jesus to accomplish all that the next title entails, he needed to be God incarnate. And so the angel told the shepherds that a Savior was born. And as Savior, Jesus is Redeemer. For first century Jews, hearing about this, they might have perceived a military or liberating person, much like the, the judges in the Old Testament were, as they were freeing the people of Israel from their oppressive uh, enemies around them. And I can imagine that this title, would have, this title of Savior would have brought hope of the liberation from Roman rule, from an oppressive regime. And there is a sense in which Jesus, stepping onto the scene and teaching what he taught, taught people how to live in freedom within an oppressive regime. He came and taught his followers how to be faithful and how to be godly in any environment. His kingdom is not a kingdom that is limited by political lines of authority or temporary governing structures. Daryl Bach noted in his commentary that Luke intends the reader to see the meaning in terms of a rescue or delivery from peril both the physical peril that is around us, but also spiritual peril. As Savior, he will free people from the bondage of the, of, that eternally entraps them, and that is sin. In fact, when the angel told Joseph that Mary was going to have a child, how would you like that news? An angel shows up in your dreams and tells you, hey, your, your fiancé is pregnant, and she's going to bear a child. And, but here's what the angel says. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. What greater peril could we need rescue from than the eternal consequences of our sin? So the first visitors to this baby may not have been thinking in purely spiritual terms, but they were also hoping in the political liberation that was promised. I got to tell you, there are some in our society today that would love to see the United States be a Christian nation. They would love to see the laws of our land fully mimic what happens in Scripture. And while I think that may be a noble desire, that's not necessarily why Jesus came as Savior. He came to redeem us from the bondage of our sin and to give us eternal freedom in the midst of godless cultures. When you look at what Jesus taught, he did not try to compel people to change the government. He tried to compel people to live faithfully in the midst of any government. 
Consider the example of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 to 10. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, ultimately, Jesus came to bring peace, peace between humanity and God. And by atoning for our sin, and then he also provided peace in the midst of the turmoil by guiding us how we should live. In fact, if you remember when, when uh, Jesus was with his disciples, he, he was telling his disciples, hey, the Son of Man is going to go head toward Jerusalem and be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And Peter said, no way, this is not going to happen. We're going to overthrow those who want to kill you. And, and, and do you remember what Jesus called Peter? He told him, get behind me, Satan. Peter wanted to overthrow the government. And Jesus saying, hey, no, 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 no. You don't understand yet. Here, I want you to live faithfully, even though the government is godless. The third title that the angel gives this new baby is Christ or Messiah. God's anointed one. You see, Christ in, in Greek is essentially the word that the Hebrew renders as Messiah. As Christ, Jesus is the one that God anointed and appointed to become Savior. He was the one that was foretold by the prophets. In fact, look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 26. It says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, or in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, that is Christ or Christos, until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with a plaza and a moat and even in times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah or Christos, Christ, will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war and desolations are determined. I know this is a super encouraging thing, but what, ha- what was essentially happening there, the angel gave Daniel some insight into helping him understand, hey, after I tell you that Jerusalem can be rebuilt, I want you to start counting weeks of years, those weeks. So seven weeks is, uh, is, is seven years of sevens. And so you have all these, it's a whole lot of stuff, but it, essentially that, what ended up happening there is people were able to count from that time to know that the Messiah would be coming. They knew to expect that he was coming. So the birth of Jesus is good news of great joy because God will become a human in order to redeem us as the promised Messiah in the initial fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And as the first Jews, the first century Jews, the shepherds would have seen this as joyous and great. And the birth of Jesus brings good news of great joy, which, which then begs us to ask a couple of questions. And the first question is this, who possesses that 
joy. Who gets to hold on to that joy? Who gets to participate in that joy? Charles Spurgeon helps us to see that those who proclaim the news possess that joy. The first possessors of that are the angels. The angels, whether it's the initial angel who who got to share the specifics or the angelic choir that got to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angel possessed the joy of the news. But secondly, the shepherds, after initially hearing, they went and investigated and were so delighted and overjoyed with what they learned that they told everyone they could. Look at verse 17. It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Do you know what that feels like to have that great news, something you want to reveal to someone else? I mean, in thinking about children, I remember when Danielle and I were expecting our our first child, when we were expecting Zachary, I happened to be on a a road trip overseas with with both my dad and my father-in-law. So these are two guys who are about to be grandparents for the very first time. I had information that they didn't have, and I was about to reveal it to them that said, my grandfather went to Texas, and all he brought me was a T-shirt. It was going to be a great reveal. It was so joy. And it was, I was like busting at the seams to want to tell them this is what's happening. And yet I couldn't tell them. I had to wait till we got back to Maryland and, and could finally tell them. But, but you know what it's like? And maybe some of you guys are thinking that way with Christmas. You know you've got that thing that your kid or, or grandchild really, really wants. And you're like, oh, I can't wait till they open it Christmas morning, right? There's that joy and that excitement. Or maybe, on a a little bit less important level, maybe it's the fact that your team clinched the playoffs. Go Niners. (laughs) Or that they're going to the big game. But as people, think about this for us, as people who have received the gift of Jesus, we get the joy of proclaiming the good news. We get the joy of proclaiming the truth of his birth, not just as this cute little baby, but as Lord, as Christ. As Savior, how often are we squashing that joy because we're intimidated by what others might think? How often do we shy away from proclaiming the good news because, oh, we don't want to offend anyone? Are we participating in that joy by proclaiming it? In our celebrations, do we recognize Jesus as the true reason we celebrate Christmas? Do we share the good news of great joy with all people around us? There's a a guy in the South. His name is James Merritt. He's a pastor. And he would say, this is the best news. And the band Mercy Me would add to that, this is the best news ever. We get to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Birth. But not only do those who proclaim the good news possess the joy, but those who hear the good news possess that joy. That first audience was the shepherds. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about these guys. Some have suggested that these guys might be temple shepherds. They were preparing the sheep for sacrifices. Some people were speculated that these guys were so totally despised and, and looked down upon in their culture that that they wouldn't be heard. But, but essentially, that tradition didn't come along for a couple hundred years till after this. What is interesting is that these shepherds received 
the good news. Yeah, they may have been on the lower end of society's ladder, but they were also at the heart of who God is. Shepherding was at the heart of God. In fact, Daryl Bach notes that Abraham, Moses, and David were all shepherds at some point in time in their lives. As he, he, and then, um, oh, sorry, God shepherded his people. Even the psalmist affirms that shepherding role that God has in the lives of his people. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. See, think about this. When important things happen for important people, those important people tend to gather other important people around in order to tell the good news, we want to gather those, those people who, who can most get the word out. When there's a royal birth over in England, yeah, the queen and, or now the king hears about it. But then other people, all the important people, the prime minister and all those folks want to get the word out. And of course, the press is all over that too. But the most important being in the universe, the birth of that child, think about this. God chose to have his angelic messenger come and talk to shepherds. Lowly shepherds. Thabiti Yanyabwile commented about this, and he said, it seems God believes high theology should be given to low people. He put it on the bottom shelf so that everybody can grasp the joy of this great news. But this joy was not reserved for the shepherds alone. It was made available to anyone who would listen. They simply couldn't keep their mouths shut. Verses 16 to 18 says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Their example should be good encouragement for us, a good motivation for us. When we let the others hear the joy that we have in the life of this child in a manger, they get to participate in that joy as well. Sure, there are some people who will take offense with you go and say, hey, Merry Christmas, rather than Happy Holidays. But think about this. This is the one time of year that you can hear Jesus' name actually proclaimed in shopping centers. As they're singing Silent Night or Away in a Manger, yeah, you'll hear the songs too. So those who proclaim the good news possess the joy. Those who hear the good news possess that joy. But thirdly, all those who believe possess that joy. You see, the shepherds, they heard what the, what the angel said. They didn't just take it at his word. They didn't just think of it as being, oh, isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice? They went and investigated. They pursued what was going on. They believed that the, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord was born. So the question I have to ask us, ask you, do you believe? Do you believe? Which brings us to one final question. What should we do with that joy? What should we do with that joy? As we think about the people involved in the birth announcement of Jesus, it seems that there are several ways that we can and should respond. 
These are not necessarily in any order of priority, but for those who have already believed in Jesus, if you would call yourself a Christian, maybe you should follow Mary's example and reflect on the source of that joy. Mary, if you remember, there in Luke 2, she pondered all these things in her heart. She considered what was going on. Especially this time of year, it's so easy to race around from one place to another, to go from one party to the next, schedule our time away in order to spend time with others and then hurry off to the next group of people to spend time with. But I think at some point in time, we need to slow down. We need to take time to reflect, to consider the profound ramifications of what Christ has done for us, what this baby in a manger means for you and me. Maybe even consider taking some time to journal, write down what God is doing in your life through Jesus Christ. But secondly, as we've already said, we should speak of it. Both the angel and the shepherds give us an example of this. It's, it's easy to fall into the trap of being politically correct. Oh, happy holidays. And I certainly don't want us to be rude, but we have this great news, this joyous news that we get to proclaim. Speak of it. Because this is great news for all people. Thirdly, I think we should sing of it. The angel choir provides an example for us in this. We do this easily on Sunday mornings. I got to tell you, when, when the set list came out and I was getting ready for this morning, I was walking early and I was thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be fun. It's been a, a fun time getting, getting to sing and practice with the band as, we, as I knew the songs we were going to be singing together. In fact, Brian even said, boy, Joel's in a weird mood today. But I hope that the songs of the true meaning of Christmas will overflow from our homes and from our lives. Yeah, we could sing along with Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, or Bing Crosby, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. But what does that really say about the true meaning of Christmas? May songs like Joy to the World or Oh Holy Night or Angels We Have Heard on High worm their way through our brains so that mm, maybe someone might catch us humbling and mumbling that as they see us in the store. So that other people might hear the reason for the hope that we have. So not only should we reflect, should we speak, should we sing, I think next we should live in the freedom that this joy brings. If you've been a follower for, of Christ for any amount of time, you, you know that Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You know that we do fight against our own tendencies towards sin as we pursue holiness. But we also live in the truth of the promise of Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, what a joy that is. Paul continues a little bit later in that chapter. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, live in the freedom of the life that Jesus purchased for you. 
Live knowing that you are no longer condemned. Even when sin weighs heavy on you, live in the freedom of knowing that you have been forgiven and you are his child forever. But there is one final thing that I want to, want to bring up for us. You know, for some of us, we see the birth of Jesus as sort of a hallmark. In fact, if you watch any of the Christmas movies or the holiday movies, you'll find that there's all sorts of warm, fuzzy feelings that you can get about people being nice and really cool things happening. But for those of you who hear the good news year after year and make no change in your life, let me encourage you to follow the example of the shepherds and respond to the news. When the angel told them this good news, they didn't sit idly by and think, oh, how cute, how wonderful, yay, for that little teenage girl and and her husband. They took action to confirm what had been told them. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I don't want you to take a blind leap. I want you to step forward in faith, investigate the claims of Christianity, pray and ask God to help you trust, to help you believe. Jesus came to bring you freedom from the eternal bondage of your sin. He came to bring you new life today. And in just a moment, we don't do this very often here, but in just a moment, um, the, the band is going to play. We're going to sing a song together. And I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, maybe come forward and talk. Ermal's going to be over here by the piano, and Carl's going to be over here by the organ. But if you've not yet responded to the gospel, maybe today is the day where you can come and just ask some questions in the very least, or come and ask them to pray for you. Pray that God would help you believe. But let me, let me pray for us and then we'll conclude our time.